is amazing how quickly you can splinter a church. Easily done. You think, well, you know, you have tied the Holy Spirit, got great unity in the bond, the Word of God. Just like that, it can be splintered. I, I could probably do a service this, this morning in such that you would never come back. It wouldn't be that hard. I think what I would do is probably start off with a vote, uh, maybe two or three votes, and ask, uh, well, let's, let's make a, some decisions on how we were going to live, what's going to be our code of conduct for our church. Uh, I'm going to ask you to raise hands on what you think and what you shouldn't do and do. Uh, I'd say, well, you know, how many of you think that we should drink alcohol and how many of you think we should not drink alcohol? Raise your hands, you know, and next thing you know, you get folks kind of upset about that. I'd say, well, what about, uh, oh, let's talk about music. (laughs) How many of you think that we should sing only hymns? If it's in the hymn book, we'll sing it. If it's not, we're not singing it. And I'd say, well, what if we have instead, how many of you vote for uh, electric guitars, drums? Everything that's new is what we'll do, and uh, courses is the way to go. Let's vote on that, and we'll have some folks to disagree. Good many of you probably would disagree. I'd say, well, how about, uh, let's talk about our diet. How many of you think we should be vegetarians? How many think we should be carnivores? All right. Maybe organic, homegrown, grocery store, fast food. What if we had a, a restriction on what we were to eat? What if it was how we do our kids in school? And say, well, here at this church is nothing but public education. You want to be a part of a church, you'll have your child in a public school. Or, no, that's not good. If you want to be a real Christian, then you're going to have your children in a Christian school. And I'd say, oh, no, no, if you really want to be a good Christian, you're going to homeschool. Let's vote. You can see how easily you could never come back here. If we start bringing out some of these issues, and these are just some, you know, we could talk about Bible translation. We could say, well, you know what? Instead, we're going to make a decision. All men, ties, coats, suits, women, dresses, no pants. That's our code. All right, so, well, no, let's not do that. Let's be casual. Let's be receptive to all people. Let's, uh, not everybody has a suit. Let's, pants, casual clothing, golf shirt, something like that. Let's, let's, let's make a decision. Who will we be? How will we act? Other generations, perhaps, the question was whether or not you should go to theaters. Or whether or not you should go to movies. Or whether or not you should wear uh, makeup. Or whether or not you should smoke or use tobacco. Or whether or not you should play cards. Or whether or not you should dance. Or whether or not you should listen to, to certain music on the radio. These have been questions throughout the times. Uh, generations of churches that we've dealt with. And so these are some of the questions we're looking at today. And I just want to present to you that, uh, you know... That's not really to be how we're going to be a graceful church. 
And that's not really what our church is to be about. That's not the core of why we exist as a church. And if we want to splinter our church, then we will emphasize that which divides. We will have votes on all the various opinions. And we'll talk about building styles. And we'll talk about various issues. And we'll all vote on them. And we wonder why we can't get along. When we're still harboring issues about someone's difference of views. Well, uh, some of you are a little upset that I even brought this up. Uh, I assure you we're not going to vote on it. But I still brought it up. And I messed you up. Uh, but... I want to uh, take you to the Word of God and help us to understand what is our church to be about. You know, it's, it is a fine line between socialization and fellowship. You know, socialization is when you train people to uh, conform to the behavior and expectation and outward behavior. Whereas uh, fellowship at the core is to have some major things in common. We share in fellowship. We have in common, literally, we have in common these most critical truths and characteristics. But it's inevitable. When you get a church that has a fellowship, the socialization will occur. You know, you, you start acting alike. You start talking alike. You start looking alike. And if you're not careful, you think that acting and talking and look alike is what keeps you in common. Uh, you know, we, we talk about with teenagers and say, well, they all sound alike, they look alike, and they, they listen to the same music, and we joke with them, but I found that it's true no matter your age. I go to the pastor's conference uh, from a few years ago, and we all looked alike. You know, you can, you can kind of tell a pastor just out, they, there's something about them, you know, I can pick them out, and they would all kind of dress like this, you know. Uh, but nowadays, uh, younger, my generation thought, you know, we don't want to do that anymore. We don't want to wear coats and ties. And, and so now we go to the pastor's conference where it's mostly my generation. And they don't wear coats and ties, but they still look alike. You know, they have the, the khaki pants or, you know, jeans that look like they've been out in the garden for a week. And, uh, you know, you got your, your shirt tail hanging out or your golf shirt or you got a goatee, you know, and some of the good sideburns. And, and your hair is kind of the, the bed head look, you know. And, 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 and so that's the, the look now. I'm thinking, you know what? It's the same, it's just a little different. It's the same, it's just a little different. It's the socialization that often occurs. And I just want, uh, if I can, by the help of God and His grace, His Spirit, to maybe look at the difference between socialization and fellowship. It's key. It's key if we want to be a graceful church, if we want to be a loving church. And so, I want to take you to Romans chapter 14. We're going to like look at Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. This is going to be a three-part uh, sermon. Uh, there's about ten points to this. And so we're going to look at the first point today. For the first action of what makes a church graceful. Uh, and look at the four reasons behind this action. Uh, and so this is going to be for the next few weeks. This is a, a message I think I could preach often, uh, frequently uh, to our group. Uh, no matter what church, uh, it seems something that's badly needed. And so Romans 14 Let's read verses 1 through 12, and in honor of this passage, let's stand as we read it together. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as a better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. (coughs) (laughs) Just in case you were daydreaming. (laughs) All right, where was I at? (laughs) I'll warn you next time, Jerry, sorry. Verse 5, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You may be seated. Well, the church, the room, was dealing with some squabbles between uh, Jews and non-believers, or Jews and Gentiles, rather. Paul is writing this, perhaps in the city of Corinth when he writes this. And, uh, you know, going from a Jewish way to a Gentile way and worshiping God was extremely diverse. You remember, Jews, uh, they kept the Sabbath day, kept it holy. It was a special day. Uh, the Jews had the dietary laws. There were some things they were to eat and some things that they were not to eat. And when it came to meats offered up in idol worship, well, this had a special brand uh, of maybe taboo. Uh, and, and here they are, these people are together, Gentiles, they don't, they've never kept a Sabbath day, uh, and, and they're having to deal with this, and so it's causing some real trouble within the church. Now, the, the book of Romans... Just so you know, the most of the book is really about the doctrine of the gospel. Uh, in fact, Romans uh, chapters 1 to 3 tells us every single one of us are guilty before God, no matter what our condition is. We are sinners before God. Romans 4 tells us that it's done by faith. Romans 5 says that salvation comes by the grace of God. Uh, Romans 6, 7 and 8 talks about the role of the Spirit of God working within us. Romans 9 and 10 talks about the election of God, His, his sovereignty over the salvation issue and, and the nation of Israel. Uh, we talk about the role of government. And so when we get to chapter 12, you have that great therefore. He's moving from the, the nuts and bolts of the gospel and says, Therefore, because in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and it talks about being conformed. To God and transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 is about the, the transformation that takes place because of the gospel. The application. If we live the gospel, if we believe the gospel, that means we will do and act different things. And so he talks in chapter 14 about this view of, of um, well, disunity, uh, strife that's going on. And how does the gospel speak to a church that's dealing with these issues? 
And so I'm going to explain this a little bit and then let's try to apply it to our own life. Uh, we look at this thing. He, he just talks about those who are weak in faith. You notice that in verse 1. Those who are weak in faith. And he talks about those who are strong. Who is the one that is weak in faith? Well, the Bible says in verse 2 that the one he's talking about is the one, the strong is the one who believes he can eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, he's not talking about physical weakness. He says, you know, it's not that eating vegetables make you weak. He's talking about something else here. Uh, and so it's about those who avoid meat and those who are wine. He identifies them as those who are weak. Now, also, I want you to note that the practice of this weak brother or sister is not sin. All right? He's not talking about those who are sinning. That in their behavior, he just calls them weak. But this, in their weakness, is still God-exalting behavior. Uh, and notice how he describes uh, this passage. He says in verse 6, he says, Those who observe this day, they do it in honor of the Lord. Those, the one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So either way, both are trying to honor God, whether you eat or you abstain from eating. It's not a sin. Both are exalting the Lord. Now, I would also have you note that this weakness here is not referring to legalism. All right? When I say legalism, it's for those of us who tend to add to the gospel. So the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. God forgives us. We do not and cannot add anything to this to make us a better Christian. And the legalist says, well, you've got to, and you add on the list, uh, do these good works and that saves you. Now, how do I know that? Well, Paul addressed the issue of legalism in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. And that is legalism. And he has harsh language. In fact, he's furious with these who are legalists. You notice there's a quite... A bit of difference in the tone of Galatians 5, verse 1 to 3, and then what's found right here uh, in Romans 14. He doesn't call them the same things as he calls the legalists in Galatians 5. Um, so, what is he talking about here? Who's a weak believer? I think we get some elaboration on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. He's not talking to the same group of believers, but he seems to be talking about the same issue in 1 Corinthians 8 through 6 and 7. And let me just read this. He says in that passage, For us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things, for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. And so this weak has something to do with not possessing the knowledge. Knowledge of what? That everything belongs to God. All this food... The meat, the vegetables, the grain, it's God's. But some couldn't see that and thought, well, no, this meat is not God's. This is the idol's God. It was offered to this idol. And I cannot, in good conscience, eat that which belongs to an idol. And so for that lack of knowledge, knowledge of what, that everything really belongs to God, they wouldn't eat. And so he calls his brother or sister a weak person for lack of knowledge. But it's not sin. And it seems to be a private conviction, a personal conviction, rather, that these people are doing. And they say, you know, I just would rather not eat that meat. All right? So that speaks a little bit about what he's talking about here. You get that? You know what he's talking about when he says a weak believer, a weak brother? It's not legalism. It's just that 
they have their conscience messed up because they think this food is tied in with idol worship and they don't want to deal with that. Now, that isn't really our issue today anymore. But all these things that I shared with before, those questions we ask, they can be. Uh, I think getting dressed, going to church, is a private, uh, personal conviction. How you dress when you meet with other believers. Uh, some folks have the idea, well, you know what, I want to dress my best. I was taught to dress my best. It is my act of worship and dressing my best. And so that's what I'm going to do. And they do it in honor of the Lord. And there, there's who says, you know what, I think it's irrelevant because God's watching the heart and sees the attitude of the heart. And I think that perhaps maybe by not dressing up, I, uh, I can be uh, welcoming to those who, who are not used to church. And so this is something I can do uh, in honor of the Lord. Great. That's a personal conviction. And that's just one issue. And there's many of these. There's a lot of issues where the Bible speaks very clearly. It says, this is sin. And this is obedience. But there's this whole field of subjects where the Bible does not speak clearly as to whether this is sin or whether it's obedience. And it's not critical to our salvation. In other words, it's not what we call an essential. It doesn't pertain to the doctrine of our salvation. This doesn't mean it's not important. It is important. It's just not essential to our salvation. And so he just gives us principles and he gives us a brain and he asks us to think through these things Consider the principles of Scripture, pray about this, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you through Scripture, and you come to your own conclusion. But guess what? It could very well be that you'll be sitting next to someone that has a very different view of it. And it's okay. They are not less a believer for being different. And that's one of the points I want you to get. So, looking at these 12 verses, the... What is the action? A graceful green pines will do this. They will respect personal convictions. They will respect personal convictions. We're not trying to correct the personal convictions of other believers. Okay? I remember when I first got here, the question that was asked was, will we have a casual Sunday? And I was a little bit flabbergasted as to why I was being asked this, because it was beyond me as to why I was telling you how to dress. I, you know, I was just, this is something your mom, dad's, you know, they tell you how to dress. You, you, kind of, you know, it's between you and God. And what was going on is, you know, we had these, this expectation that we were all going to dress alike. And there were some who were thinking, you know, I want to honor the Lord with how I dress and I want to wear a suit and tie and I want to wear a dress. And, and their consciousness was being bothered by coming here. And there were others that didn't have that. And so my thought is, you know what? That's not my role to tell you how to get dressed and come into church. It's something you deal with God. And, and so hopefully that comes to bear as, as we look at this. Now, why is it that we are to respect personal convictions and, and not trying to change personal convictions? Well, let's read. Uh, he says, verse 1, he says, look, uh, the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Get that. We gather together not to quarrel over opinions. Someone asked me, why is it that we don't have so many votes in, in our church business meetings? And I said, we do have some church votes in our business meetings, but it's got to be worth our dissension. 
Because we're not here to gather and to quarrel over personal opinions. If there's something, sometimes we, personal opinions, opinions are involved in the working of our church. And so we ask a team, a small group of people, you guys make this decision together and you guys may disagree, but it's better for a team of six to seven people to disagree and deal with it together than it is a whole church to disagree over this. And so we delegate these decisions out to the various teams. And that's what this nominee form is, is about that you guys may have picked up. Uh, so... Uh, just uh, that's not really the point of my sermon, but I can, you know, verse one, don't quarrel over opinions. But one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So notice verse three, let not the one who despise, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. In other words, don't make them feel bad about their personal conviction. Don't make them feel like they're less a believer. And let not the one who abstains Pass judgment on the one who eats. You don't go to the one who's, who maybe is a little bit, has more latitude in their behavior and say, you must not be a believer. You are eating food that's offered to an idol. You're not a believer. Don't be the one who judged in that point. Why? Well, for God has welcomed him. Why are we to respect personal convictions? Because the standards for acceptance for acceptance, should be no more restrictive than God's. The standards of acceptance should be no more restrictive than God's standards of acceptance. Notice verse 1. Put verse 1 and verse 3 together. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Verse 3. For God has welcomed him. (laughs) It seems to me that God welcomes a lot of people. Jesus got criticized often because he was the one that was uh, telling prostitutes that they could have the kingdom of heaven. He's the one that's telling the, the traitors, tax collectors, the, the greedy folks. He says, you guys can enter the kingdom of heaven. And he was getting constantly criticized because he wasn't hanging out with the ones that were in the tabernacle or in the temple all the time. He was reaching out to these others. And the idea that Jesus was trying to demonstrate is that I am not here for the healthy. I'm here for the sick. I've come that sinners may repent. There is the idea of acceptance that God says it is by grace that you're saved through faith. Now understand that when God accepts you, he doesn't accept you to keep you where you are. He accepts you to take you where he is. But nonetheless, as a church, the standards of God's acceptance should be our standards of acceptance. Where God says... That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we say the same thing. Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead? This is the the core of what we believe and what our church is to be about. Now, why is this the case? Well... Because Green Pines belongs to God. This is God's house. It's not my house. I'm not the one to to make the rules. My job is to explain scripture. And there will be some rules that come out of that. But it should be clear that it comes from scripture. You know, if you come to our house. If you're a minor that comes to our house. There's some rules when it comes to eating. We don't necessarily tell you that you should finish your plate. But we do say, well, okay, you don't have to finish your plate, but whatever you, you know, if you don't finish your plate, then it's your responsibility to feed the dog today. All right? That's amazing how it motivates ours. 
Uh, I don't like Roscoe for some reason. And then if you want dessert, you got to finish the vegetables, you know? Why? What? Are you being mean? No, it's just my house. If you want to eat at my house, there are some rules. My kids go and ride with the grandparents. Well, they can't eat food in granddad's car. If you want to ride with granddad, you can't drink a drink in granddad's car. Why? Because it's granddad's car. That's all you need to know. If you don't want to ride with granddad, that's fine. You just stay. But if you want to ride with him, leave the food and leave the drink. Why? It's his car. Well, this is his church. Some of you may have been responsible in starting this church, but it was God who did it, who worked through you, and it belongs to God. So we go by his rules, and he says, welcome him, for God has welcomed him. So it does not matter how they look, what socioeconomic level they come from, what race they are. It doesn't matter if they've never worn a tie in their life, and they may never will. And it doesn't matter if they wear pants or if they wear a dress. What matters is are they confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Do they believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead? Has God accepted them? You remember Romans? For by grace are you saved. So we don't change whom God has accepted. Now, let's read verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or fall, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Why are we to respect personal convictions? Because servants are only accountable to their master. Servants are only accountable to the master. You notice this. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? This person doesn't belong to you. And the implication is that they belong to Christ. See, it's before his own master that he stands or falls. And the thing is, what happens is we start getting into a church and we say, we want to, we want to be godly. We want to follow Christ. And, and so we don't necessarily know all the scriptures. We don't, we haven't thought it all out. So what we'll do is we'll find somebody that we think is godly and we'll look at what they're doing, what they're not doing, and we start duplicating their behavior. We don't really know if it's what the scripture says. All we know is that this is what Sam does or doesn't do. And so I'm going to do the same. And we go through this life and what happens is this a socialization that occurs without thinking through what scripture has to say. I'm just doing this because this is what the folks at Green Pines do. This is how they live a life. This is how they have their kids in school. This is, these are the curfews they, they do. And, and this is what they eat and this is what they don't eat. But here's the thing. I, I know that happens with me. So that's the pastor. The pastor's doing it. It must be okay. I'm doing whatever he's doing or whatever he's not doing. And then they apologize to me if they do something different than I do. I mean, they, they cuss or they let something out, you know, in front of me and they say, oh, I'm sorry, pastor. You know, you know we, we joke about it. Well, if you're going to lie, don't lie to the pastor. Surely you don't do it in church because <laughs> then it's really special. I mean, you really did something wrong if you lied to the pastor. 
and you did it in church. Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not God. I say, well, you know, if you're going to apologize, don't apologize to me. You didn't break my rule. <laughs> Talk to God. That's the one you got to deal with. He's the one that you are ultimately going to be before him. And so it says, what's implied in this? He says, you will be brought before the Lord. Notice what it says, verse 12 at the very end. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, I, I remember I was working uh, in a Christmas tree farm when I was working up in, in Boone, uh, looking to get some jobs, uh, some money, extra money on the side. And, um, it was some good experience. Um, it helped motivate my desire for school and study. Uh, I thought, all right, I'll cross this off my list of things to do later on in life. And, uh, you know, it's uh, ruined Christmas for a while because every time I got around Christmas trees, I, I smelled work. You know, it's like, oh, this is bad, some bad experiences. But it, it, was, it was hard work. You know, we're loading down trees, uh, six foot up, down from the mountains, uh, sticking them in bellers, and then take the bell trees, load them up in trailers, and then take them to the warehouse, take them from trailer to the warehouse, and then from the warehouse to the transport trucks, and hefting around six foot trees on your shoulder. And uh, it, it got to be arduous uh, task. And I was my first day or two there working, and uh, you know, we had lunch, and I was still rolling. And, you know, my Sunday school teacher was my boss, and I, I wanted to uh, uh, to impress him. Uh, I was doing, you know, I was working hard, and I was hustling back and forth. And and uh, one of the guys was was talking. to me, he said, "Hey, you need you need to slow it down. You're moving too fast, and you're you're making us look bad." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I, you know, it hadn't dawned on me that what everyone else might be thinking." I started thinking through what he was saying. It's like, well, why should I care what he thinks? He's not paying me. I've got one boss and he's not it. And so what does my boss think? That's the point. And so I thought, well, forget that. I'm just going to keep on doing what I want to do. This is uh, do the best that I can. But I assure you by the third or fourth day, I wasn't moving quite as fast. Uh, but, you know, the thought is, is we have a boss. And we live to Him. We work to Him. And so that's the same with our church fellowship. It is the same in our life that we are to live before the one who will hold us account one day. You see, the scripture says that each of us, and this verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. I like sometimes to think that maybe I'll be one of many. Maybe I'm a statistic. Maybe He'll just take all the, the North American believers and we'll, and we'll all be before God one time. Or maybe, well, you know, at least the North Carolinian. No, well, how about this Raleigh? How about this Green Pines? Can we have all the Green Pine believers together? No. The Bible says each of us, every single one of us, can you imagine this? Will be before God. And we don't have our spouse to back us up. We don't have our child to back us up. Everything is exposed before him. Our thoughts, our intents, our attitudes, our actions, what we did and what we didn't do that we knew we should have done. It's before God. I praise God that First John tells me that we have an advocate before God. There is Jesus that's there with us. But nonetheless, there is this accounting. And I think that we don't take that seriously. And so we try to take the job of God 
and be the judge before someone else. So, let's keep on reading here. Uh, one thing that you need to note there, that last phrase, when that time comes, whether we stand or fall, or fall we will be upheld. The Lord is able to make me stand. Praise God. Because when I imagine that time, it's nothing but fear. But I read that passage that says, The Lord is able to help me, to give me the grace through my life. He will be my advocate. He will keep me straight in following Jesus Christ and loving Him. So verse 5, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Why do we respect personal convictions? Because personal convictions are personal property. That's what it says there. Each in his own mind. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, whatever take you make, tack you take, whether it's to, to say I'm going to keep the Sabbath day or I'm going to switch it to Sunday, or whether I'm going to eat meat, or I'm not going to eat meat, or whether I'm going to dress up, or whether I'm going to listen to this music, or I'm going to sing hymns, or I'm going to sing praise choruses, or I'm going to homeschool, or I'm going to have my child in this school, or that school, or whatever it may be, you've got to be fully convinced in your own mind. Isn't that interesting? There's problems with, with harmony in the church. Because of these personal convictions. You would think that Paul would say. You guys just need to lighten up. (laughs) Lighten up. But he doesn't. He takes the opposite. He says. No, no. Don't lighten up. Be fully convinced. In your own mind. (laughs) Why is he doing that? Is he just making us even more dogmatic about it? Well, it depends. What are we to be fully convinced of? Are we to be fully convinced that our way is right? No, that would bring to disunity. What is it we're to be fully convinced of? Notice verse 6, I think it gives us the hint. Each one observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. What are we to be fully convinced of? It is to be fully convinced that it is in honor of the Lord. So whether I dress and tie or not, whether I wear uh, khakis or whether uh, I listen to praise music, I listen to a certain style of music or whether I sing the hymns or have homeschooling or child in public school or Christian school or you name it, you just name it. The question that we really need to ask is, are we fully convinced that it's in honor of the Lord? In other words, this is something you do because you worship God. I notice that when I do things because I worship God and not because I'm pleasing someone else, that it matters very little what other people say. But when I'm just following a tradition, when someone asks, well, why am I wearing clothes? dressed up like this on Sunday, and I say, well, it's because of what mom and dad taught me. I get real defensive. I can't take it when people criticize because I'm defending mom and dad. But when I'm doing it, being fully convinced that it is an honor of the Lord, and someone criticizes me, I could care less, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I'll be sensitive about it. I'll be nice to them. But I'll say, you know what? 
appreciate you sharing that with me. But my mind hadn't changed because I've thought through this, and I believe it's in the honor of the Lord. I'm not defending anybody. I'm just stating this is what God's done in my heart. And so I worship the Lord. You know, I don't think there's many times in my life where I've personally stolen or intentionally stolen things. But I remember one time I was uh, in middle school and I was hanging out with one of my buddies in the uh, neighborhood. And it was the time period where we were into bicycles. You know, we were all riding bikes. We all, we all wanted to get a bike and, and ride around the neighborhood. And we were, uh, you know, a bike or two short. And so my, my, my friend said, hey, uh, we can go to my neighbor's house. He has a nice tandem bike. And we can get two of us on that tandem bike. I thought, man, that sounds neat. Let's do that. So we go all marching into the yard and go down to the basement and get his tandem bike. And we start rolling it out in the drive of his, his yard. And, and then about that time, the neighbor comes out and says, what are you doing? Well, we're, we're getting your bicycle. Well, that's my bicycle. Well, my friend said it was okay, <laughs> said it was okay to take the bicycle. I said, no, it's not. This is my property. You can't take this from me. You see, convictions, personal convictions, are something that God has done in your heart, you and God alone. You can't change someone's personal convictions. Who does that? God. Each servant belongs to God. God changes personal convictions. You can't shame someone into it because then it's not worship. You can't ridicule them into it. Because then it's not worship. Our goal is to worship which comes out of faith of the heart. Notice the last verse. The last verse of the chapter. I'm skipping ahead but I can't help it. It it says. uh, Romans chapter 14. If you look. Verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned of eats because the eating is not from faith For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Do you understand that if we try to shame someone into our personal and private conviction, that if they're doing this and they're in the same time having a guilty conscience that it's not done of faith, that you are causing someone to sin. God must change their heart. Not you, not me. Now, verse 6. Notice, it says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So we got this, that it's all done in honor of the Lord. And then in verse 7, he's interesting. You know, we're talking about eating and not eating. We're talking about celebrating days and not celebrating days. And then all of a sudden he talks about living and dying. What? I thought we are just eating and not eating. Now you're talking about living and dying, Paul. He says, for, verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. What he's saying is like, we have talked about small, specific opposites. Eating and not eating. But let's get real general. What's the biggest opposite? Someone's alive and someone's dead. And the most general opposite and the biggest extremes, both are done to the Lord. Whether you live or whether you die, it is to be done to God. So everything in between, in between life and death, is to be done in honor of the Lord and glory to Him. And so he says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's for to this end. Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he pay the penalty of our sins? Why was he put in the tomb? Why did he rise again from the dead? It is to proclaim by purchase that everything is the Lord's. So yes, green pines belongs to the Lord. 
You belong to the Lord. Your job belongs to your Lord. Your diet belongs to your Lord. Your clothing, your lifestyle belongs to the Lord. Your hairstyle or lack thereof belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. Whether you live or whether you die, it is the Lord's. And so, verse 10. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Why do we respect personal convictions? Because we are to live before God and not other men. It is easy and it's subtle. But be aware. When you're making decisions because you think, well, this is what most of the population of the church will like. You're committing idolatry. You've exalted the opinion of mankind. No matter who that man or woman is. So what do you do? You just do whatever you want? No. You do whatever God wants. The question should be, what does God want me to do? A matter of getting dressed, that's why I refrain from saying what, what you should and shouldn't wear. You ask yourself, what does God want me to do? When it comes to matter of drinking alcohol, the Bible makes very clear that we're not to be drunk with wine. It is not something that you debate about. But there are many believers in debate about the uh, partake of alcohol in general. Let me just share with you. Search the scriptures. You pray and ask God, why am I wanting to drink this alcohol? And if you sense the leading of the Spirit and the Lord in that, you better obey it. You better obey it. I've asked the deacons here not to do that. I don't personally do it just because I know there are those who have a real problem drinking it. And I don't want to lead them astray. And I just personally don't have a desire to do it. When it comes time for your school choice with your children, you look at the options. And you ask God, what do you want me to do? What can I do? And you make your decision based on what you sense God leading you to do. And once you do that, don't feel like you have to persuade everyone else to do the same thing. I personally, I, I homeschool. But it's not something I'm dogmatic about. It's not something a point of pride. It's just something we sense God wanting us to do. And that's it. I don't have great arguments as to why to do it and why not to do it. It is something you decide before the Lord. Some of you have children in public schools, some of them Christian schools. Great. But just make sure it's done in honor of the Lord. Some of us want to sing hymns. Some of us want to sing choruses. Some of us want the organ and the piano. Some of us want electric guitars and drums. Okay? Great. Whatever you do, do it in honor of the Lord. But listen, we, we have taken the direction of the church and saying, we'll do both. 
We'll make everyone mad. <laughs> we'll do both. Why? Here's why. Because we don't want folks coming to church because of a secondary issue. If they're coming here just because we sing hymns, they're coming for the wrong reason. If they're coming here just because it's new and up to date and it sounds like a jazz club, they're coming for the wrong reasons. The core of our church is to be the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. We do not exist because of a certain music style. And if you're coming thinking, oh, I'm going to come because I like the music. Well, I'm glad you like the music, but that's not the reason why you join the church. Or you worship with the, with the body. It's not what we're to be known for. And so it's better instead to give opportunity for everyone to say, you know what? I don't like that style of music. And I really wish we'd sing this other song. But I know I'm not the only one in this building. And this doesn't exist for me. It exists for God. And if maybe this is an opportunity for me to prefer someone and their desires and their personal convictions, then you know what? That's a real good thing. And I think that's probably the right thing to do with the church family. Prefer one another. You name the issue. If the Bible doesn't clearly state a picture about it, you make a choice knowing that you belong to God. Make sure your standards for accepting someone else that differs with you is, is no more restrictive than God's. Make sure that you understand you are accountable to the master and that other person is accountable to the master. You don't have to judge them. God's going to take care of that. And your personal convictions, therefore, are private properties between you and the Lord. And therefore, we're to live before God and not other men. Do not be slaves to the opinions of the people in the church. Sounds a little different, huh? But be a slave to the God of the people in the church. That will form enough common bonds. If we're not careful, we'll tell everyone to believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I'm right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat, drink but what I drink, look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. And then we want to tell our church, let's love out loud, Green Pines. Let's love out loud, Hodge Road. Let's embrace love. All the while, we've soured grace in our heart and our life among one another. Before we can really be effective with loving someone down the road, we've got to make sure we know how to love one another with grace. Understand, not everyone else is going to believe the same thing you believe, and it's okay when it comes down to the non-essentials of our doctrine. So how do you make some of these decisions? Let me throw out some things real quick. There's no way you'll probably be able to write all these things down. We'll probably just give you something next week and uh, have it in the bulletin. Take home, but you got to ask yourself the world test. Will this make me think worldly if I do these things? Will it change how I perceive the things of God? The quality test, is it good for me physically, emotionally, spiritually? Is this a good thing to do? The temple test. In other words, understanding that my body is the temple of God. Can I, good conscience, partake of this activity or lack thereof? The glory test. Does it glorify my Lord? Or will the other hand possibly bring shame to his name? Or I would say, does it bring glory to me? 
the blessing test. Can I honestly ask God's blessing on it and be sure I'll not regret doing it? That's where you, if you're asking and doing things out of doubt and not faith, it is sin. Reputation test, is it going to bring damage to the testimony of the Lord? Consideration test, am I being considerate of others and the effect this might have on them? Appearance test, does it look bad? Does it have the appearance of what is wrong or suspicious? In other words, I'm not going to have to explain this. Generally not good if you have to take a lot of time explaining it. The weight test. Can this slacken or sidetrack me in running the Christian race? The coming of Christ test. Would I be ashamed to be found doing this when he comes again? The companion test. Can I invite Christ to go with me and participate with me in this matter? The peace test. After having praying about it, do I have perfect peace about doing it? You go through these thoughts, and guess what? You can come out with a conclusion that's different from someone else. And it's okay. It's okay. Let's pray.